good morning. Psalms 57, verses 9 through 11. I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Amen? Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the freedom we have to bring our worship, offerings of worship to you. And we rejoice in what you have accomplished through your son, Jesus Christ. It is in your name we pray. Amen. Stand and sing together.
So can you turn either to the side, don't all turn around or you'll face each other's backs, but can you just give each other a warm welcome, give a hug, give a handshake. Good morning, God. <laughs> it is our joy to be gathered in your name and to worship the almighty creator of heaven and earth. You are welcome in this place as we turn our eyes and our ears and our hearts toward you. We confess this morning that we are often selfish, selfish with our time, our treasure, and our talents, especially when it is at an inconvenient cost to us. We ask, Lord, that you would be our generosity in these areas. Remove all fear and cause us to grow and mature in our faith, expanding our love, our giving, and our service in your holy name. Thank you that you're not willing to leave us where we are. Your word says, he who began a good work in you will see it to completion. That is a promise and we thank you so much for it. Holy Spirit, we lift up those families who are grieving the loss, both expected and unexpected, of loved ones. Please be their comfort and peace at this oh-so-tender time. And finally, we pray along with thousands of other church families this morning for the President of the United States. We ask that you would be his wisdom that you would be his discernment, that you would be his strength, that you would be his courage, and that you would be his heart, all for your glory and honor alone, in the name of the one who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be
read? Okay, so, any more? Apparently it's good to stop with a good carbohydrate. Uh, we're going to receive the offering of the morning. We gather here to worship the Lord because we uh, depend on Him absolutely for what He gives us. Uh, to think that we can get through a week without Him is uh, the height of foolishness. Uh, if this is a new thought to you, we welcome you as a visitor and a guest. Uh, but for those who come here uh, on a regular basis, we know that we absolutely depend on what God alone can provide. And so as we bring ourselves to Him, uh, as we give our tithes and our offerings, some of you give by mail, some of you give, give through automatic uh, credit card deductions, some of you give through stocks, some of you, there's all kinds of ways people give. But we still hold this time as sacred, uh, even if we're not literally bringing a gift, if you are fantastic. Uh, but we, we want to offer ourselves to the Lord because until we offer ourselves to him, we tend to be resistant to him, indifferent toward him, and not paying attention. And so this time of offering, it's not just about bringing our tithes and offerings. It's, it's about bringing us and to say, Lord, I want to hear from you. I want to worship you. I want to uh, realign with you. So let me lead us in a prayer as the, as the ushers come forward to receive the offering of the morning. But the memory, the main offering of the morning is you. So Lord Jesus, here we are in your presence to offer ourselves to you, to recognize our absolute need for your absolute grace. And as we've been moved by the music and moved by the prayer, now Lord, we want to be moved simply by an encounter with you, profoundly through an encounter with you. And so Lord, we give ourselves to you, opening our hearts and our minds to you, praying that your will indeed would be done in us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Heavenly Father, we thank you so much again. Thank you, God, for your love, for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. And as David prayed in Psalms 25, God, teach us, lead us. We thank you for your word. And we thank you in advance for the transformation and change in receiving the truth of it this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I have a personal message to you from Peter, the apostle. You might not have expected to be getting a personal message from somebody who lived 2,000 years ago. Uh, but Jesus inspired him to share some thoughts uh, with us. And so it's my privilege to say, uh, here's, here's Peter's message to us. So Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. <clears throat> We're going to be in uh, 1 Peter 1 through 11 this morning, and I want to pause right here because uh, this is a bombshell, uh, what he says here. Uh, not the part that he's a servant and apostle of Jesus or, or to those who through righteousness of, of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a gift. But the way he describes a gift that we received, uh, that's, a, that's a phrase that would be easy to, to, to jump over. A faith as precious as ours. Just let that sink in. This is Peter. Who when Jesus said, hey, what are people saying about me? And what do you say about me? You are the Christ. Uh, and the things that Jesus said to Peter, and the things that Peter went through in terms of the humiliating experience of denying Christ, and that restorative process of being reconciled to Christ. Uh, so Peter uh, stands large. How many of you have ever been to St. Peter's in Rome? <clears throat> a little smaller than this church, but nonetheless, it's a very charming <laughs> chapel, right? <clears throat> you go to that place, and it's just breathtaking. Uh, it's breathtaking in every way. And to be in a service there, uh, there's a picture in the newspaper recently showed the, the priests being ordained on their faces before the altar of God. And whether you're Catholic or not, you can't help but realize this is a very powerful reminder of the power of God to restore people, to lift Peter up from that ab abject state of humiliation to that, that sense of exaltation. I, I, I am friends with the risen Lord and Savior of the universe. Uh, and he says to you and me, You've never met him, but he says this with complete confidence, with no exaggeration, no hyperbole. He says this, you have received a faith as precious as ours. It gives me goosebumps thinking about that. <clears> that <throat> my faith, your faith, uh, is a gift equally as precious as, as the one that Peter would say, that's what I possess in Christ. Uh, wow. And so like Peter, we get to experience and express Jesus. That's why we're here in worship. Uh, he's writing to people who get it, who value it. Who get it and who value it. You are those people. You get what this is and you value it. That's why you're here. Uh, I, as I thought about this this week, I thought about, what if you were Rembrandt? Or somebody of such high stature as an artist? Trisha Clark. Trisha Clark is an amazing, she is literally, uh, <clears throat> if you go to, if you go to uh, art shows in La Jolla, uh, you will see Trisha's work. It's spectacularly beautiful. She's amazing. She's embarrassed. I'm sorry to put you on the spot. <clears throat> I will say that I've taught her everything she knows about painting, so that maybe takes the pressure off, you know. But she has this amazing capacity to create incredible art. Uh, to think about a great artist seeing a child finger painting, What's going on with the artist when they see the child finger painting? Can you ever imagine a great artist saying, you don't know anything about art, that's just finger painting. No, what an artist, a true artist would do is say, oh my gosh, I totally get this kid. Putting their hand in the paint. I am that kid. Uh, how about a sculpture? A sculptor looking at, looking at a child rolling the Play-Doh around? Eating the Play-Doh, it smells good, it smells edible to me. <clears throat> if you've ever been around children and you say, don't eat that, I'll go ahead and eat it, whatever, you know. Um, the sculptor, as she looks at her child playing with the Play-Doh, she says, I get it, I completely get this kid. The Play-Doh. The blob that after being moved around and manipulated with all kinds of fluff and other stuff in it, 
is presented as this work of art and it's described by the child and the, and the, the sculptor says, absolutely, I see that in that. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. Uh, how about a singer uh, smiling at the child belting out a tune? We have a 15-month-old grandson who cannot talk yet, but Warren sent us this, this uh, you know, little video link and uh, we didn't have this when we had our kids. You know, we, when you could see everything they're doing in the entire car, we just thought they were probably in the car until we got to where we're going, and then, oh my gosh, they are in the car, thank goodness. <laughs> but they had all these cameras and mirrors and all these things, so they're watching. And, 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 the, and this video is showing, while Lauren is driving with hands on the wheel, it's this video and showing through the, the mirrors and all this, um, and the camera in the car, this 15-month-old singing. I mean, you listen, you go, blah, 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 but it's to the music. So a great singer hearing a child belting out a tune. I won't ask you to raise your hand and admit the fact that you have done uh, your own version of private karaoke. <laughs> You're belting out the tune. Um, and what does that, uh, that wonderful singer do? They just smile. They go, I get that kid. I am that kid. Belting out that tune. Uh, and so, how wonderful that is, that, that that artist, that sculptor, that singer would say to that child, your gift is as precious as mine. What you're doing right now is as precious as what I do. Now, they might also say, when the child got older, by the way, uh, you got to up your game a little bit because there's no value in the marketplace for what you're doing right now. But it's absolutely precious as a gift. And so the precious gift is revealed through discipline skill. That's where we're going today, because we're talking about spiritual maturity. And spiritual maturity is not a trophy that's awarded to you at some point <clears throat> that, that you feel like, oh my gosh, where did this come from? Uh, spiritual maturity is just the description of a process of growing into maturity as you walk with Jesus. And so the things that you do as an adult, you probably could never have imagined doing them as a kid. In fact, to this day, if any of the people you knew as a child could, could watch you do it you do. They would say, are you sure you have permission to do this? Right? Because they still see you as the kid you were. But then they have to make the adjustment. Say, oh my gosh, over time, you've applied skills diligently over a long period of time. Discipline skills to be able to do what you do now. It's amazing. I didn't know you had it in you. Right? That's what Peter's saying to us. If you don't get anything else out of what I say, uh, you have a faith as precious as Peter's. And in this case, precious is not probably a great word in English. Precious, again, is one of those weak words in English. Tissue is a weak word in English. Uh, you know, uh, <clears throat> so precious sounds like a weak word. Precious means it's of the same value. Isotimos, of the same value. If you saw a child with a necklace on and you were a, an expert on diamonds, and the kid was out playing, and you looked at the kid in the necklace and you thought, no, no. But if you look closely again, you said, oh my gosh, that's a real diamond around your neck. Where did you get that? Oh, I got it out of my mommy's, my, my mommy's jewelry box. <laughs> okay. You know, maybe not the thing you should be wearing out playing, but it's of equal value when your mom wears it. It's of equal value no matter who wears it. If a child's wearing it, you assume it's costume jewelry, unless you're a person who's an expert, you go, oh my gosh, that's the real thing. You should be wearing that, right? A faith as precious as ours. Uh, I can stop here, I could go on. Do you want me to go on? I'll, I'm glad to continue. Okay, fine. I'll make it brief, as brief as I can make anything. <laughs> Which means there will be a break and a meal served during this message. <laughs> so he goes on to say that, because of this precious gift that we share in common, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Because of this incredibly precious gift of equal value with everybody who's ever received it, because it came from God himself. And God don't make no junk, as somebody once said. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Who doesn't want abundant grace and peace? If you're ever in a conversation with somebody and say, I, I just can't get to that Jesus thing about believing in Jesus, Okay, fair enough. I'll just, I'll just let me ask you a question. Do you want more grace and peace in your life? Well, yeah. Okay. Then how are you going to get it? 
Who owns all the grace of peace? Who created grace of peace? Who gives it freely as a gift? I don't know. Well, I do. It isn't me, it isn't you. It's him, it's Jesus. Grace and a peace and abundance. Abundance means more than enough. Life without God is less than enough. <clears throat> the greatest tragedy of the people Peter was writing to, and the reason he had to remind them that their precious faith was equal to his, is that some of them were taking for granted that precious gift. And they weren't experiencing grace and peace. Why? Because they were living in very troubled times. Not, not like ours that everything is easy and perfect. <clears throat> My only disappointment in Kathy's prayer was that she stopped with the president. She should have prayed for every member of Congress, every person who's appointed a serious job in D.C., everybody in every state, county, city, and neighborhood who has some leadership responsibility. We could have been here for, for weeks while Kathy diligently prayed because everybody needs what God alone can provide if we're going to have grace and peace. Do you want your doctor to have grace and peace? Do you want your dentist to have grace and peace? <clears throat> oh, hi, doc. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm, I'm here for a root canal. Right, yeah, yeah. Oh, you seem distracted. Ah, just, I'm just, yeah, I'm really upset. Okay, then, I can come back another day if that's helpful to you. No, 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 fine, I got it, okay. Uh, life without God is less than enough. So what builds our capacity to practice faith is the big question. If we have this precious gift from Jesus, bequeathed to Peter and to everybody in Jesus' name who's received it, what will increase our capacity to move from finger painting, bellowing out of tune, rolling Play-Doh, to creating a masterpiece? It doesn't happen overnight. It's a process. So in Christ, God gives us what we need to grow into maturity. His divine power, it says, has given us everything we need. Everything we need. We have it. For a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. His divine power has given us everything we need. Well, I'm not aware of that. I don't, I don't think I have everything I need. That's right. You aren't aware of it. You don't know what you have. You don't know what he wants to give you until you pay attention to him. And he'll point out, that's what you need. That's what you need. If you've ever taken a walk through a jungle or a, or a rich rainforest, uh, you just walk through a place that's damp and buggy. But if you're with somebody who knows it intimately, they'll tell you what you can eat and what will poison you. What is just a beautiful bug and what will, if it stings you or bites you, will cause you great pain or possibly death. You're not aware until somebody walks you through and says, this is what you need to know about this place. If you're ever in danger, look for this. If you want to avoid danger, avoid this. That beautiful vine that grows in all western coast forests, people go, that's interesting. It's some kind of oak. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we call it poison oak <clears throat> for a reason. So spiritual maturity invites God working in us. It simply says, Lord, yes, your will be done. We just prayed it. It cooperates with God's purposes. It's not passive. Hey, God, do your thing and, and check in with me later. Or I'll check back with you later. No, I want to be fully engaged in what you want to do in me and through me. A work in me and a work through me. And so that's about growing in our knowledge of him, our love of him. And, and there's three components. Simplistically, this is very reductionist, but three general categories that overlap and work together uh, to allow us to make access into this incredible knowledge that God wants to give us. First is biblical knowledge that leads to wisdom. <clears throat> Knowing the Bible is not enough. The Bible is certainly enough in the hands of God. But just knowing the content without really meditating on it and letting it work its way into us means that we still don't have wisdom. I always am nervous about a person with lots of information and no wisdom. What's the difference between an amateur and a professional? The professional has wisdom. Every amateur person doing self-diagnosis via WebMD or whatever you're Googling is a danger to yourself. Because when you go and say, doctor, I've done all the research, this is what I have. And they say, well, no, actually, this is what you have. Well, the symptoms, right, right. But there's a whole perspective of symptoms. And wisdom allows me to dial in and say, this is what's going on here. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises. That word precious again. Powerfully valuable. Life-changing. Don't lose it. Don't miss it. 
so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. This doesn't mean we will no longer live in a corrupt world or that we will no longer have evil desires. It just means this is the antidote for living in a world and possessing an interior world <laughs> that is corrupted and, and compromised by evil desires. So in the midst of this actual world in which we live, this, this process of God through his word is going to make a difference in us. And so therefore the Bible is our foundational text. Not the only text, but our foundational text. <clears throat> if you find yourself reading Jesus Calling without reading the Bible, you're in danger. The only reason Jesus Calling exists is that that wonderful woman who wrote it read the Bible. It's rooted in the Word of God. It's just one quick step or two away from uh, uh, that book to other kinds of books that purport to talk about God have no linkage to the Bible, right? And so reading the Bible is about wisdom for living. So that's the first big, big pillar. Second is this, personal growth leading to emotional maturity. Personal growth is interesting, and for some people, they are perpetual hobbyists about uh, self-improvement. But it seems to never work its way into anything practical. So when we talk about personal growth, we mean emotional maturity, EQ. The capacity to experience anger and know how to deal with it. The experience of the, the capacity to, to recognize fear in you and know how to deal with it. Uh, the, the, the capacity to realize uh, I, I, I could commit murder right now. If looks could kill, I'd be surrounded by dead bodies. But I'm going to learn to handle that and channel that in a different way than my initial impulse. So for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. To add to your faith. And it doesn't mean add as if we need to prop up our faith. But, but coming out of our faith, here's what's embedded in our faith. Goodness. And to goodness, knowledge. To knowledge, self-control. Do these not sound like EQ qualities? Goodness. It's about EQ. Self-control is about EQ. This sense of knowledge is about EQ. I want to be around wise people who are grounded in God's word. And then as they relate to people, I want to see what that wisdom looks like as they work it out. And to self-control, perseverance. Wow, that's a deep EQ quality. To perseverance, godliness. That's not self-righteousness. It's like being like God, not thinking you're God. To godliness, mutual affection. I really do care about you. I might get in an argument with you. Uh, you might not like what I do or say. You might not like what we're going through together, but we're here together. We're for each other. And, and to mutual affection, love. So wisdom equals, uh, wisdom includes emotional intelligence. That's essential for handling, handling scripture well. So many times when I see people handling scripture poorly, it's because they have no EQ. They haven't submitted their character. So when I see a guy that says, has a big sign that says, God hates fags, I'm thinking there is absolutely no wisdom in that sign. It's a distortion of God's word. It's an insult to anybody who has no context for what motivates this person. And so what a horrible thing to think, that we can, with, with a good intention, but with no emotional intelligence, in a sense, pervert God's word. Yes, but it was God's word, right. Out of context, misapplied. We're not afraid to apply God's word appropriately, ever. It's our foundational text because it's our, it's, it's the, it's our base for reality. But, but woe be to us if we do not apply it properly. This was Jesus' big beef with the Pharisees. They kept invoking the word of God, but they had no idea how to do it contextually. So they set up a woman, catch her in adultery, and then accuse her of it. So Jesus wasn't being weak on sin when he said, uh, where are your accusers? Go and sin no more, right? He had emotional intelligence. This increases our spiritual influence. It, it shows that we have an authentic spiritual maturity. So he says, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, Goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection, love. They will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the difference between the, the kid dabbling in, in paint and the great artist. The one has become very effective and productive through, through discipline over time. And coming back again to the art like this, I just should burn it. It's just that I can't get it. I can't mix the paint right. I can't get the right tone, the right color. It's just not coming together. And somebody comes along and says, hey, have you thought about maybe doing this? Go, oh my gosh, boom, boom, boom. Wow, it pops, it comes alive. It all came together. What'd you do? I just applied some wisdom. 
so that it can be more effective and productive. You, you spent a lot of work on this. I want to help you get it uh, completed. And so your best work is effectively applying your knowledge of God through spiritual influence. What do we call that? That's the third skill. Ministry skills leading to missional impact. So biblical knowledge that leads to wisdom, personal growth that leads to emotional intelligence and maturity, and then ministry skills, learning to do things like Kathy's prayer. Many of you will not pray even when you're invited. Why? Because I heard Kathy pray. She did it so well, I could never do it like Kathy. <clears throat> Kathy would be abhorred at that. She would say, please, no. I felt just the way you did, but I got, I got more comfortable at it by praying. I got better at it simply by doing it. I stopped thinking about you and praying to you. I started praying to God, and I ignore, I ignore you. Because I'm so busy praying to God on your behalf, I'm not worried about what you think of me. I'm thinking about what God thinks of you and what you think of God. You get where this goes? Ministry skills that lead to missional impact. Missional impact is just a fancy way of me saying spiritual influence. Why do we say missional? Because we say it's out of the purpose that God has given me to be effective for him in influencing others that I have this impact. We're to be witnesses of Christ, not by being obnoxious intruders into people's lives, but being present to bear witness to the glory of God in Christ. Ministry skills leading to missional impact. I had this crazy slide. I don't know if you can even see it, but it just it maybe it would help you say, if Christ is in you, <clears throat> and you start to you know, build your knowledge of him, you discover that Christ is not only in you, he's for you. And as you develop EQ, maybe you sit down with a counselor, maybe you have a spiritual guide, a spiritual director, you have a, you're in a life group, you have somebody who's your mentor. You realize that, wow, in spite of all these disconnects inside me, Christ is, is with me. Not only is he for me from what I see in his word, but he's actually with me. He's patient with me, he's tender with me, he's nurturing me. And then finally, you realize, wow, people are starting to ask me questions, right? I find out I want to have conversations with people about their spiritual growth. I try to do it in ways appropriate to the situation with great respect. And also, you start to realize, my gosh, Christ is working through me. So Christ in you, Christ for you, Christ with you, Christ through you. That's all we're talking about. And this is a, a very simple, oversimplified schematic. I, I, if I was more clever at this, I'd come up with some other schematic. It'd be 3D. It would, it would have lights. It would... It would you know, be doing all kinds of, it would, be, it would be hologram right now we'd all be looking at. So the alternative to this is remaining immature and ineffective. So he says, whatever you do, but whoever does not have them, he says, is nearsighted and blind. You're missing it, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. You have this precious gift, but you don't know what to do with it. And therefore, a, a thing of value put away in a dark place really lacks value, doesn't it? The value, really, is us being able to appreciate it, to interact with it. And so, therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. This might be a shock to some of you who <clears throat> maybe grew up in churches where all you ever heard was this, by grace alone, by grace alone, by God's grace alone. Not works, not works, not works. Uh, everything I just said is true. It's not by our works that we win our salvation. It's by grace alone. But here's the word from Peter. Do the work. Do the work. Mommy, you, your sculptures are so beautiful, and all I have is this plate of honey, do the work. You'll be doing that like me. Hey, Mr. Artist, you do such beautiful work, all I have is my hand in paint. Right. Do the work. Hey, I like singing, but I don't seem to do it very well. I'm trying to write songs, but all I can come up with is some version of Happy Birthday with my own words. Do the work. Don't put God or you on hold. This is the bane of the American church. We put ourselves and God on hold. Once I have enough money, once I have enough time, then I'll get around to doing what God wants me to do. I'm sorry, by then it's too late. It's too late. Not that you get old. Is that it's too late because you've become so preoccupied with other things you don't think about it anymore. The politician who gets corrupted didn't start out saying, I just can't wait to get elected so I can be corrupted. Every one of them starts out saying, I'm going to make a difference. It's going to be right when I leave. Yes, it will be, but for not reasons you think. It'll be right when you leave because it'll be taking away in handcuffs. If you don't focus on righteousness right up front. Make every effort to become spiritually mature. Make every effort to become spiritually mature. Some of you are not giving financially because you think you can't afford to. I'm telling you right now, you can't afford not to give financially. Rearrange your life. Make the effort to rearrange your life so you can say, Lord, this is yours. What do you want me to do with it? 
Some of you do not know the Bible, though you've been around people of faith, and you would consider yourself a person of faith for a long time. Why do you not know the Bible? How can you not know the Bible? What effort does it take to read a little bit of Bible every day, to listen to a podcast, to listen to it while you drive? Okay, is this, is this haranguing? Yes, it is. It's godly haranguing. Because this is the bane of the American church. We don't know the Word of God adequately. Therefore, we can't link it to what God wants to do to develop our inner world. Therefore, we can't link it to spiritual influence. It's, it's horrible. Our country needs people alive in Christ, articulate about His Word, presenting it in ways that are compelling and engaging so that we can have a spiritual influence. You'll never need to pass another bit of legislation as long as you have spiritual influence. I mean, I, I would love it if we didn't have a, a, a law that allowed abortion, but I don't care about the law of abortion. I just want the law of love that would cause a person never to choose an abortion. That's the power. That's the power we need. That's the power we have. It's not a legislative power. It's the power that comes from being alive in Christ because he's given us a gift as precious as the very one he gave Peter. So effort is our appropriate response to God's grace. All calling means is that God has invited us and commanded us. All election means is that you've been chosen by God. Don't get hung up on those terms and get, get uh, cross-eyed over them. You've been invited. You've been chosen. Make some effort to respond. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, Peter says. And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What do you mean you'll never stumble? Are you kidding me? Do this and everything will turn out right? Really? Yes. Here's why. Right isn't the same thing as easy. Here's what it means to never stumble. The word stumble here doesn't mean you know, you, oh, sorry. The word stumble means you have a, a firm foundation. You have solid footing. You can't fall off the earth. You can stumble on the earth, but you can't fall off the earth. It's firm. That's why we call it terra firma, right? Here's how and why it works. Uh, we'll take a little tangent here for a moment. In 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 10, this is Paul speaking. He says, we have this treasure, the precious promise that Peter is talking about and the precious faith that he talks about. Here's Paul's version of it. We have this treasure in jars of clay, something very simple and basic. To show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We're not a fancy container. We're just jars of clay. But the most beautiful, precious thing is being poured into us. And this is what he says. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in perpetual despair. Yes, we can be persecuted, but we will never be abandoned. Certainly we'll be struck down, but not destroyed. You see the perspective on this? This is what you will never stumble means. God is for you. God is with you in all situations, at all times, and in all places, both now and forever, and ever, and ever. Amen. We prevail because Jesus' resurrection power powers us through life. It's not the power of our good intentions. And we're simply making effort to cooperate with God's powerful purposes in us. If we resist it, it's what the Bible talks about in quenching the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk more about that next week. But this is the power to repent, the power to recover, the power to renew, the power to recommit, the power to receive what God alone can provide. Here's five quick catalysts for spiritual growth. If you say, well, okay, what are the practical implications for me? The first is life-changing truth. Read the Bible. And as you read the Bible, then read other books that help you understand the Bible. Other texts are helpful, but the Bible is foundational. Spiritual disciplines. What's the spiritual discipline? Well... It's like you go out for a walk. It's like you go to the gym. It's like you watch what you eat. Spiritual disciplines are simply the practices that allow us to acquire and internalize the faith, to appropriate it. So prayer is a spiritual discipline. Worship is a spiritual discipline. Giving is a spiritual discipline. Serving others in Jesus' name, spiritual discipline. Meditating on God's word, a spiritual discipline. Fasting, a spiritual discipline. Uh, there's other kinds of spiritual disciplines, lots of them. Don't get hung up on, oh, I'm going to do some spiritual disciplines. They're not an end in themselves. They're simply a means to the end of being fully formed in Christ. And without them, uh, we remain undeveloped. What's a personal ministry? It's simply the way you use the gifts that God has given you. Your personal ministry could be greeting people as they come into the parking lot, welcoming people into the door, serving them coffee, uh, doing other things within the church. Your personal ministry could, teach, could take you to teach community Bible study. Be a group leader, 
you know, for, for life group, to work with Young Life or University, to say, hey, I've heard of that thing called Youth of the Mission or work with Bible translators, or there's a disaster going on somewhere. I think I, I have special gifts. I'm going to be part of a team that whenever those disasters happen, I go. Personal ministry, you build houses in Mexico. I could go on and on and on, and I usually do. <laughs> Significant relationships. Who do you know well enough that knows you well enough? Who knows you well enough to knows what make, who, who, that they know what makes you laugh or cry? That they, they know those undeveloped uh, questions. They, they know your deep need. They're there for you. They don't judge you. They simply accept you. But also, they do what a, a good friend does. You say, so you know I accept and I love you. Can we talk about what you're going to do by virtue of a next step? That's what accountability is. Not catching people doing something wrong. Something wrong. It's, it's helping them do something right. Significant relationships are the pathway to that. And what are pivotal circumstances? They are the circumstances, good and bad in life, that allow us to say, aha. Forest home is a pivotal experience for kids. Hume Lake is a pivotal experience. <clears throat> Those are positive, pivotal experiences. There are negative, pivotal experiences. Uh, a bad diagnosis of a horrible disease is a pivotal circumstance. Wow, how does this change the way I look at my life? A divorce is a pivotal circumstance. Well, I've been doing that. Maybe I need to do something differently. You see where it goes? Don't let any pivotal circumstance go to waste. Whether it's a crushing soul, uh, uh, sucking experience that makes you realize, I have nothing, I have nowhere to turn. Yes, you do, the Lord. Or the thing that you've been hoping and praying and working on forever, all of a sudden it comes together and you feel like I've never been more successful. That's a pivotal experience. Take them all. They're all useful in God's hands. And so the, the, the fruit of the Spirit confirms these qualities. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That gives you a hint on making some spiritual maturity progress. Our mission is equipping everyday people to walk with Jesus every day. What is this? It's a journey of personal transformation. But it's not just getting better at being better. The Pharisees were getting better at being better. I follow all the rules. For those of us who are rule-keeping type people, we can feel pretty righteous and self-righteous. I keep the rules and you don't. There's a movie coming out called, um, <clears throat> it's called Smart People. It's about these kids who graduated from high school and they're so proud of themselves for being, having been such good students. All those crazy social party people don't get to go to the schools they're gonna go to, only to discover that all those same kids are going to the same schools they're going to. So it's not just getting better at being better. It's getting better at seeing who Jesus is who you are in him, what he's doing in you and around you and through you. That makes everything better every day. That's what our mission statement means. I'm getting better at understanding who Jesus is in me, around me, through me, and in others. <clears throat> I love the way that T.S. Eliot says it. We shall not cease from exploration, and the end of all our exploring will be to arrive where we started and know the place for the first time. He was an American who, who became a British citizen, one of the great poets of the 20th century, and, a, and an ardent follower of Christ. Constantly in his poems, whether it's a wasteland or this one from Little Gidding, trying to create a worldview that was Christocentric. Spiritual maturity is as much about perspective as it is about perfection. What we focus on is what we will become. So Jesus said to the people of his day, Matthew 13, 13, Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. We do not need to be in that condition. So I ask you this pop quiz question. What is spiritual maturity? And here's, here's some talking points as you ponder this question. It's responding to God's gracious invitation to walk with him. Start. And then learn his ways. Grow in your capacity to receive and give his love. Use your gifts to bless others. Honor him with your life. Does that describe you or your, your desire? I know it does. We're too humble to say, oh, sure, yeah, I'm spiritually mature. If that's your desire, though, you will be spiritually mature. You might not even know it, but everybody else will benefit from it. So, Lord Jesus, we recognize you in this passage speaking to us through Peter. We recognize you in this place through your Holy Spirit moving among us, convicting us of sin, comforting us in our pain constructively equipping us uh, to do your will one day at a time. As we come to this table, Lord Jesus, to receive Holy Communion, we recognize your presence in this cup and in this bread. We recognize that you, uh, you in us, 
uh, is the answer to the question, what does it mean to be spiritually mature? So we commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite those who are uh, distributing communion to come forward. On that night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and having broken it, he said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he took that cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you do this in remembrance of me. This is not just a symbol. This is the substance of God's promise to us, made real to our senses. God is in this moment, in this place, in us. How? I, I can't explain it to you adequately. Words fail me to describe how he could be present in these things. People, bread, cup, but he is. And so as you receive it, receive it mindful that he is in you, wants to do a work in you. If you do not know him, we're not imposing this on you. You don't have to receive this. But if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, starting right now, uh, receive this in his name.
And next week we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit. And none of this makes sense without the Holy Spirit. Uh, next week is Pentecost Sunday. So come back. And, and if you're not already doing so, read the Read, Think, and Pray we send out every week. Toward the end of the week, we send out a heads up about where we're going on Sunday. It's not this mini sermon, but it gives you a heads up and a sense of, hey, what, what am I preparing for as I prepare to go into worship? Worship is something is best when you prepare for it. So uh, take that to heart and mind. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon us all, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.